But with that, let's pray, and we'll get into Revelation. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the time that we have together um, in, in working through the very end of Revelation. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless our time here today. Lord, I know that we have uh, moved at a fast clip through this book, uh, hopefully, so that we can get an overview of the things um, that you have laid out for us to know concerning the things that will be. Uh, Lord, as we have worked through uh, Revelation and Daniel, uh, we have learned that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you are working things according to your plan. And in that, we can rest and have peace and we can have hope and we can have assurance that uh, the pain and the sorrow of this life um, will be done away with one day. And so, Father, I pray for each person that's here, for each person that may be listening um, to this message, Father, that you would help us um, to truly walk with you in joy and peace in gratitude and, and assurance, knowing um, that you are in control and you are working all things for your glory, that you're working all things in our life for good. And we are grateful, Lord, to be your children in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for these, write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would, that you would help us now as we navigate these last two chapters. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so today we're concluding Revelation. We've, ha- we've had... Um, I feel like in the last year and a half or two years, we've, we've conquered some, some hard, heavy books. Um, and like Hebrews comes to mind. We've been through Revelation now, and we've done Daniel. And so I'm looking forward to some time with Jesus in the uh, traditional gospel sense. Uh, 
So next week we're going to start the, the Gospel of Mark. Um, and there's always tension in preaching and teaching about like what speed to go through it. Um, with Daniel and Revelation, I felt like we needed to move along so that we could keep the big picture. Um, when I do that, I always go, ah, maybe we should have slowed down like, because I feel like I skipped over a bunch of stuff. Um, but with Mark, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to go extremely slow. I mean, like each little paragraph in Mark is a, is a huge story um, concerning Jesus' life and what he did. And, and so I'm kind of longing for, you know, there's a, this, this saying during that era that you, to be a disciple, um, for those of you that know the Ray Vanderland videos, it was called to have the, the dust of the rabbi's feet on you, that you would just spend time with him. And so... Um, I haven't really mapped out how long it'll take us to get through Mark, but we'll be able to spend some time with uh, Jesus' uh, teaching during the first incarnation and the things that, that he did um, on earth. And so today we look forward. Um, on the night which Jesus was betrayed, in John 14, the first four verses, uh, he had the disciples gathered for the, for the Passover meal and one of the things he said to them in those first four verses, he tells them that, that he was departing and that he was going to go to uh, his father's house. And at his father's house, there were, there were many rooms, but he was going to go and to prepare a place for them. And that one day he would come back for them and he would gather them to this place. And so today, in these last two chapters, we, we see sort of this unveiling of this place. Um, the Apostle John, who sees this vision, was there with Jesus on the night which Jesus was betrayed. So he kind of got the full picture. And so today's section, chapters 21 and 22, can be sort of outlined. And the, the verses that we read, it's sort of this descent. He sees this vision of the city descending. And then the second part is sort of the description of the city, just sort of about the city. Uh, the third section talks about the delights of the city is how Ryrie describes it, that there's the delights, the benefits, the things within the city. And then the final section today is the epilogue, the sort of John concludes uh, what he's written about in the book of Revelation. And so uh, we begin with these first eight verses. I, really today we're just going to look at the text. I'm going to say a few comments and then some clothing, clothing, closing thoughts. <laughs> um, so right away, the first three verses, uh, continuing from last week, in the previous chapters, that phrase, I saw, I saw, I saw, uh, to take us back, John has seen this vision, and the vision keeps adjusting, and he's trying to describe to us the things that he's seen. And so we've seen the millennial reign of Christ. We've seen the great white throne. And so basically, human history as we know it has, has come to its conclusion those that have uh, rejected Christ, they've received their punishment and they're there. Following the sort of the uh, buttoning up of human history, then he sees this new heaven and this new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. And then it's kind of just like, then there's no longer any sea. That was kind of a, you know, like... Anne always teases me. She doesn't think I like the ocean because I spent so much of my vocation on the ocean, but I actually really like the ocean. And it's like, it seems to be that the ocean's going to be gone in this new creation. 
which for us California folk, it's kind of depressing because we like our ocean. Um, Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. It's like fresh off the new car lot. You know, here it comes. He sees this, this beauty. And as he's looking at it, he hears this loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So this is a whole new uh, dispensation. The, The order of how things work is unlike it's ever been before. The closest we see to this is in John uh, chapter 1, verse 14. It describes that Jesus is coming to earth as he walked among them. That he, the word is that he tabernacled amongst the people. That, that he explained the Father because for humanity, fallen humanity, the closest thing we could, can comprehend of God is, is this God-man Christ walking amongst them. And so here during this period, there's no more sin There's no more depravity. There's no more uh, fallen human nature. And so there's no uh, tabernacle where there's this great divide between the people and God that if a priest, you know, when we read through Hebrews, if he went into the holiest of holies, there was fear that he could be consumed. Now in this order, God just dwells amongst people. It's very uh, like if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and read about life before the fall of humanity. It's just God was there. He was amongst his creation and his people. Um, Almost more than we can fathom. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this. um, He describes heaven in this way. He says, Our ability to imagine what eternity will be like is like two infants in a womb talking about what they will be doing once they're born and 25 years old. They have no capacity to to imagine what life outside of the womb is like, yet even at maturity, well, 25, probably not maturity, I certainly, wherever the maturity age comes, some of you it happens at 90 and others it's like at 16. It's just, we all mature at different, you just can't. So we read this and on our minds, our nature, that we're so sinful, all we know is a sinful world. And so to imagine a world without sin, we, we can't. Like we just, we just can't fathom. And then to help the picture, we see verse 4, which like I, I could barely read it without getting choked up. Like this is a week where my, one of my very best friends from, child, from high school that his 45-year-old wife with three children dies of brain cancer two weeks ago. Like the, the, the pain and the sorrow of death has been rattling around my soul for the last couple of weeks. I mean, more than a couple of weeks because it just didn't happen. I mean, it's been a process. And, and so the, the weight of this pain is, is just, my emotions are a little bit raw right now. <laughs> And so to read verse 4, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death. Why will there be no more death? Because sin's not there anymore. Sin's been dealt with. Sin is gone. It's a new creation. Death is a result of sin. God never created us to experience death. 
That's why death is so difficult for us to fathom because it's like the blue screen of death on your computer. It just does not compute. What do we do with this? And that's because God has placed eternity into our hearts. And so hear this revelation. He sees that there's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more mourning or crying or pain. Like this is like my, the week that I've had preparing to go out to visit with my buddy who's now a, a widower at 44 years old raising three kids that are my age. I'm not my age. That are my children's age. You leave out a couple words and it changes everything. You know, like. But, but it's like there'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more. Cr- Can you guys even imagine a world? Like, I can't even imagine a world without this because what do they say? Taxes and death. Those are the two certainties of life. And taxes deadline is coming up here soon. So like we're like the whole world, all both of these things are very real to us right now. The first things have passed away. So the, the first creation, the order of things, it's done. This is more than just restarting the computer, the control alt delete. This is this is the old has been done away with. And he started fresh with his creation. It's, be- it's just beautiful. Just linger on here the whole rest and call Revelation over. And he goes on in verse 5 and he says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write that these words are faithful and true. He says, I've given you the scriptures. I've given you the revelation. I, I have revealed myself to you in my word. And you can assure people that the things that are in the scriptures are reliable, they're trustworthy. And as we look at this fallen world and we look around at the pain and the sorrow and the suffering around us, we can be reassured that God is faithful and his word is true. Verse 6, then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the omega, that's the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end, the A to Z is kind of how we would think of it. The beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. If we were to go back to the Gospels and read John chapter 4, where, John, where Jesus refers to himself as, as the living water. Um, it, it's, it's something to make you ponder. God could have created us um, like without having the desire for thirst. But he created us to, to need to eat and to need to drink. Um, John Piper suggested the only reason that we have the need to drink and to eat was to illustrate Jesus' words when he says, I'm the bread of life and I'm the living water. Um, and it's funny, like when you're thirsty, like really, really thirsty, Things, what you long for is water. I remember the joke in the teams when we were out in like miserable hot places and we hadn't had water in a long time. Sit around all my buddies and I go, man, I sure feel like a hot cup of coffee and some Cheetos right now. <laughs> and they're like, you're, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm just joking, guys. Lighten up. We don't have any water. Like, might as well start thinking about Cheetos and coffee because then you won't be so thirsty. You know? it's, but there's that, when you are thirsty, or if you like eat a bunch of pizza, or this is my illustration, you know, when I eat a bunch of pizza and it's like three in the morning and you're having dreams about like being at the water fountain, just like, and it's like, you wake up and you're like, man, I was, 
so thirsty last night. All I wanted to do was drink water in my dream. But there's that craving. And he says, whoever's thirsty, it's available to them at no cost. I've provided it to them. Verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit these things. And 1 John, I believe it is, it says that he who overcomes is the one who has Jesus. So having a relationship with Christ is how you overcome. He is the one that gives access to this beautiful new reality that's coming. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. These words sound very familiar to John 21, I think, is when Jesus appears to the disciples, and he for the first time refers to God as uh, our father and your chi- and his child is very intimate. Um, but then there's this contrast in verse 8. 7 and 8 are these contrasting thoughts. There's verse 7, the one who's in Christ, who has Christ, who has placed their faith in him. And then there's verse 8, the contrasting one, the one who hasn't. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, that which is the second death, that was at the very end of the last chapter, the the great white throne of judgment where they were cast in, uh, those who had rejected Christ. Then we get into verse 9, and the city is going to be described to us in greater detail. And we read, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying... And so John is looking, and all of a sudden this angel appears. Now, we flew over it by my just mentioning it, but in chapters 6 through 18... There were those 21 judgments sort of in three different parts. And so the last one was the seven bull judgments. And so John is saying there's the angel, the one that gave out those judgments, those horrific judgments, that angel, he's the one that's about to speak. And so he says, come here, I will show you the bride of the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out from heaven having the glory of God her brilliance was like a costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper and it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names were written on them which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and the gates and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. And it makes me wonder which were the 12 names like (laughs) the, the great theological debate that everybody has like, did Judas make the cut? Ananias? No, 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 not Ananias. Uh, I should have looked it up. What's his name? Uh, huh? Matthias. That's the one that they selected. Like, will that be his name? Or will it be the Apostle Paul? <laughs> There's only 12. We'll see. Remind me, guys, if I forget when we get there, if I don't remember to care about this. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I don't think I'll be thinking about, what were those names? Like, uh, verse 15, the, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width, which is a perfect square. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and its width and height are equal. And he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. So apparently there's no metric and standard deviation between humans and angels. So we're all in the same system, which is nice. Um, The materials of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third I should have read this before practice. Chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, sardius, the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth, oh, that's a good one, chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amorist, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each one with the gates was a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. So that's what we referenced earlier. There's no separation. God is just there amongst everybody. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. it. And its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime there will be no, in the daytime for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. So those of you that are afraid of the dark, this is perfect. And it will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the, li- the Lamb's book of life. So it's the ulti- ultimate gated community. <laughs> like this is, this is something like we can't imagine. So that's the description. I feel like just reading it and letting you imagine it is the best thing you can do. You can go on to Google and get people's renditions, but it's so crazy. I, I mean, how do you draw that, you know? Then he talks about the delights of the city moving into chapter 22. Then he showed me, so this angel of the bulls of judgment, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Let me start over here. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, if you're marking in your Bible, the tree of life is going to appear a couple times in this last chapter. I, um, I would highlight it, circle it, kind of mark it. Um, we haven't seen the tree of life since I think it was Genesis chapter 3. That it was kind of God's grace. Like, it's hard for us to think of death as God's grace. 
But when sin entered the world and the DNA of humanity, I believe, literally changed to sinful creatures and the total depravity of who we are, God's grace was to end life so that it could be reborn into to newness. And so he destroys the tree of life, which gave eternity. And so the tree of life was done away with. But now the tree of life is back at the very end. And so we'll see this tree of life multiple times. I think it's three or four times in this chapter that it, it's from this tree that keeps death out. Uh, you know, I didn't create the thing, so I don't know how it works exactly. I just know what it says. The tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. Think of mango probably will be on there because I like mango. I do like apples like grapes. So I, <laughs> like, so, so there's 12 different types of fruit yielding its fruit every month. It never goes out of season. And the, or maybe it's one per month. I don't know. Like this is uh, mix things up. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. This is beautiful. Like there's, there's healing, restoration. This isn't like the world that we know. There will no longer be any curse. Back to Genesis. After they ate the fruit and they went against God and sent under, there was a curse that entered the world. And the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night and there will not have any need of, of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits, of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Verse 7. This is sort of, we've moved into the epilogue. There's sort of the revelations being buttoned up. Um, And there's a quote of Christ. So he says, and behold, I am coming quickly. Some have said that this is the theme of, of revelation. Um, I would suggest that if you take this, I'm coming quickly, that the whole point of Revelation is to wake us up. The first three chapters deal with the churches to sort of startle them awake, to realize that Christ is coming soon, uh, or you're going to meet him soon. I've, I've never met anybody on their deathbed that said, you know, life just took forever, you know, like, whether you live 100 years or you live 20 years, life is like that. And Revelation seems to want to grab our attention to say one day, sooner than you realize, you're going to be standing before your creator and you're going to give an account for how you lived your life. And the call of the New Testament, all I see through the New Testament, and probably the Old Testament too, but the the New Testament seems to be highlighted even, even more so that one day we're going to stand before him, so reorder your whole life today to prepare for that day. And behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of the, the book. This is just what I said. There's warning here. There's a call for holiness. There's a call for uh, abiding in Christ and walking with him and knowing him and basing everything, like putting all, being all in with him. 
No holding back, no playing games. God didn't send Jesus, as Swindoll said, just to give us an hour to, something to do for an hour on Sundays. This is a, a total exchange of life that he died for you that you might have life. Go all in. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, he does it again. It's like, is it Britney Spears? Oops, I did it again. Like that's a, like, here, I probably shouldn't be saying that at church, but it's kind of like, he does it again. It's, he, it's an angel speaking. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. He's already told him, don't do that. Worship God. Focus on Jesus. I'm not to be worshipped. Verse 9, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, of the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Don't bow down and worship me. There's a whole message there about we worship all kinds of stuff. There's all sorts of things that we worship that we give priority in the placement of our hearts and the consumption of our thoughts over God. What God calls us to do is to worship him. And as we worship him, you know, he's a pretty awesome God. He gives us good gifts. The whole issue of the Sabbath that the Jews argued over, Jesus says, you know what? God gave the Sabbath to be a blessing to man because he loves his creation. Take a day. Take a year every seven years just to relax. Focus on me. Like worshiping God doesn't necessarily, it, no, not worshiping God it's the ultimate joy. It's the ultimate satisfaction that you can find in life. And yet we have it so backwards. We think, oh, well, if we worship God, then make, my life is going to be miserable. I'm going to have to sacrifice having fun. I'm going to have to sacrifice my dreams. I'm going to have to sacrifice all this. Like, you, know, you don't know how to dream. You don't know how to have fun until you start living for God. And you start living for God, and God does radical things in your life that are way more fun, way more rewarding. Such a better blessing in worshiping him. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Now, this is interesting. If you were paying attention to Daniel, and even if you were, I'm telling you now, I'll remind you. In Daniel 12, verse 9, as Daniel gets this huge revelation, that he's kind of like blown away, like, what do I do with this? He's told, seal it up. Don't do anything with this. Save it for later. So this is almost the exact, I mean, it's not almost, it is exactly the opposite. Now is the time, let it be known. Record it. Don't seal it up. Let it be known. The time is near. Skeptics will are, what does is, what is near mean? This is 2,000 years have elapsed. Um, God is outside of time. I take this to understand, like, listen, guys, there's, we're not waiting for anything else. The, the next thing on the docket for eschatological things, the end times thing, the, the next thing on the docket is Christ is coming back. We're not waiting for anything else. The time is near. It's coming. Don't, uh, be ready. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. I see some young boys going, oh, that's awesome. Like we can, you know, uh, maybe that's just my house. Uh, let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keeps himself holy. This, th- this is a ter- like a kind of a confusing verse. Like, what does this say? Um, Charles Swindoll on these, this verse, this is what he says. 
The final words of the angel seem strange. He seems to be encouraging the wicked to continue being wicked instead of repenting. Let let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. In, In light of the many exhortations to repent throughout Revelation, however, this cannot be the intended meaning. Rather, the language may be itself a kind of warning, perhaps paraphrased this way, you wrongdoers, go ahead and keep doing wrong. Just see what happens. And all unclean sinners keep rolling in the mud. Just ignore God's offer of cleansing. You've seen what's in store for you. As for you, righteous and holy saints, keep practicing righteousness. Keep being holy, and you'll get your reward in due time. I thought that was helpful. He goes and he says it again in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. There it is again. And may enter the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. This is the first time the word church has been brought up since the end of chapter 3. So as as it sort of wraps up, he reminds us that this book is to the church. It's to give warning. It's it's to to help us. So we don't want to just just say, ah, Revelation's not for us. it's, It's very much to us. It says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the brilliant morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Um, so as he goes to the churches, he references David. And so there's a sort of this, this uh, tying into the root of Israel. There's the church that's been grafted in, and then there's this, so-and-so says come, and so-and-so says comes. There seems to be this, who's coming and what's happening? Like, what's going on here? And so this seems to be a, a dual invitation. J. Vernon McGee, who is, his voice is great, you know. We were talking on Saturday, and it's like, yeah, I, uh, I think it was Roger who said, oh, man, I really loved it. When I first was introduced to him, I really loved his voice. And then I learned that he had been dead for a long time. So we go like, yeah, he died in the 60s. And it's like, but he still has the, you know, how he speaks. You know, I can't replicate it. And I love how he says friend all the time, you know. But this is what he says on this verse. He says, the bride is the church. This is a twofold invitation. An invitation to Christ to come. Maranatha is the word that we use. Come, Jesus, come. And an invitation to sinners to come to Christ before he returns. And so it's just, just all of these, uh, when we read this verse again, um, Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and he who is thirsty, come, and the one who wishes to take the water with life, uh, water of life without cost. So, so there's the call to Christ to come, but then there's the invitation to the lost to come to Christ to be saved, which is beautiful that throughout this 
holy book that we have in our hands from Genesis to Revelation, we see this merciful God that is calling the lost to him to be saved, to experience eternal life. Uh, Verse 18 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in the book, in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life. There's that word again, or that phrase. And from the holy city, which are written in this book. And so there's this, there's this, there's this warning to take God's words seriously. I would say that this, this warning is a huge influence. And uh, what, what I, my understanding of church and the role of church, it's not, it's not about Gunner's ideas. I always love it when I, when I have my non-saved friends who are like so far from church and they'll, they'll see something somewhere and they'll send me a note and they'll say, hey Gunnar, I got a great sermon idea for you. That just in case you're struggling for the Sunday, here's an idea and you can talk about this talk. It'll be a great talk. It's like, well, that's not, like, it's not about what Gunnar thinks of. Like, there, there's a commitment here at our church to, to, to go through books of the Bible and to allow God to speak to us. Um, Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. So Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It just kind of gives me goosebumps. There's Maranatha. This, this, this longing for our Lord to come and to restore the order of things. And the way the, really, the canon, the scriptures close, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I mean, I can't help but the, the, this, this push of grace for God that he gives us what we don't deserve. He lavishes on us grace that the Paul, the author of Ephesians, writes about. I think it's in 113. Um, what do we do with Revelation? I... I think of C.S. Lewis's quote, our ability to imagine what eternity will be like when two infants in a womb start talking about what they will be doing once they're born and are 25 years old. It's kind of like how this is so beyond like our understanding and our thinking, yet God gave it to us to, to, to process, to think about, to ponder, to, um, to stew over. Um, Charles Swindoll describes... Uh, the Christian as having this homesickness within themselves that while they're here, I think of Paul, um, I forget where, but where Paul wrestles with, I think it's in Philippians. Yeah, it is in Philippians where he wrestles on one hand, he wants to go be with Christ. but, But on the other hand, God has him here and he wants to basically run his race with everything that he has for the glory of Christ. And so there's this tension he also says in Philippians that, our, that, that for, for the Christian, our citizenship isn't here, it's in heaven. And so there's this longing for the then, but, but we're also here. And God has given us a, a, a beautiful world and there's beautiful things to be enjoyed. But we know that this world, something about this world just falls short of what we're longing for inside. It just doesn't satisfy 
Mick Jagger's his theology is just right. You know, I can't get no satisfaction. He's tried and he's tried and he's tried. I don't know how many times he's tried, but he has all sorts of money. He has everything. Like, there's something within this world that will never satisfy the craving that you have. Only Christ will satisfy your need. So the invitation is to come to Christ. And the question that we all need to grapple with is, have you, have you received the gift? Have you said, Lord, here's my life? Not just your fire insurance. Meaning that you don't want to go to hell. No, who wants to go to hell? Nobody wants to go to hell. So it's like, okay, well, if I can throw that little lucky rabbit onto my, the foot on my keychain. This is about the old hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He's given me everything. All my life is his, regardless of the cost, because there is no cost that's too great. There, there is nothing that we can do in this life. There's only reward in following him. And I'm not talking about wealth and health and prosperity. I'm talking about eternal rewards of following him, that you can have peace, that your life can be taken away, everything can be taken from you, and you can find joy that is unexplainable in him. And that's his offer. I also see in this book that there's hope. It doesn't take too long in watching the news, reading the newspaper or watching the news or just living life and going about this world. This world has some serious pain, some serious hardships, some serious wickedness with people and evil and just stuff that's horrific. And it wears on you. And I think that this this letter, and especially the very end, that there's this hope that God's not done. And one day, he's going to create this new world, this new heaven, where there is no more tear. There's no more sorrow. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. And I don't know about you, but I long for that day. And I know that the only way to get there is through trusting in Christ and abiding with him and walking with him day by day. And so, Father, we do thank you. Um, Lord, we, we thank you first and foremost for Christ. Um, your word tells us that it was through him that the world was spoken into creation. It was through him that your plan was established to redeem a fallen world. And so, Father, we, um, we pray for those, Lord, that don't know him in a saving way that you would connect the dots in their hearts and their minds, that they would see, um, not just by blind faith, there's overwhelming evidence uh, supporting Jesus and the claims and uh, the prophecy that he fulfilled, that this just doesn't, you can't fake this. So I pray for those that, that are still grappling with their faith, that are grappling with is Jesus trustworthy, that they would be able to make that step of faith, um, that they would receive him as Savior. For those of us that have received Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to lose heart, that we would have a greater appreciation of your sovereignty, that we wouldn't look at the world around us and and get discouraged, but that we would know um, that we have a God that's sovereign, that's greater than all things, and that we can trust in you for this life and the things to come. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to walk faithfully and honorably with you. 
all the days of our life. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together to gather, to worship collectively, and just to bring you honor and praise. Uh, We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.